coming to the scriptures again tonight and uh, continuing in Genesis. And we're going to take a big jump tonight. We're going to look at a larger portion uh, of Genesis, uh, chapter 5 to chapter 9. And uh, just to remind you that we are looking to understand some of the basic foundations that uh, God reveals to us in the book of Genesis, just about our worldview, how we ought to understand the world, ourselves, and then, of course, in relationship uh, to God. And so moving on with that tonight, uh, I'm going to read just a a shorter portion, uh, not the entire section, too many chapters to do there. It's quite familiar territory, so uh, we should all be uh, on track with that. But let me pray, and, and then I'll read the scripture and move on from there. Lord, once again, thank you tonight for uh, an ability to study, an ability, Lord, and privilege that we have to be able to read the Scriptures, to have copies of the Scripture, and Lord, your Spirit at work, interpreting, illuminating our minds as we come to the Bible. And so even in the explanation and study tonight, I do pray once again that you would lead us in, Lord, just discovering or being reminded again of the greatness of, of who you are, and as we consider this topic tonight, Lord, not only love, but also uh, the reality of justice. And so, praying, enable me, Lord, to think clearly, to speak simply, and for each of us, Lord, to have our hearts open, and Lord, teaching us more and more to be in submission to your revelation, responding in believing, and Lord, loving and trusting as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage I'm going to read is from chapter 6, and just uh, verse 5 down to verse 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So just uh, that portion. Uh, Nevertheless, we will be looking at a much broader section of the scripture uh, before us. I want to introduce the study tonight by going to something that we are familiar with. And uh, it is that we Pretoria residents, and I guess people from uh, many places in South Africa, have faced many years now of unprecedented levels of crime. It's a topic that uh, consumes many conversations People don't have anything to talk about. There certainly is always something to say about some kind of incident in and around the suburb where they live. And no need for me to remind you, it was all over the news, but just uh, over a week ago, remember, it was the Saturday night, a sudden gust of wind. In fact, it was blowing, howling away, and uh, a number of pylons here in the east of Pretoria uh, fell over. And, and it wasn't because uh, of the wind only. It was because of stealing. Uh, someone, some people had come along over a period of time and removed uh, the steel supporting struts to sell off as scrap metal 
maybe getting a few rand for that, but putting the whole city's electricity grid at risk. And in fact, there were a number of people in the east of Pretoria who didn't have electricity for a number of days. It's annoying, it's upsetting, and on a regular basis, people around us, close to us, neighbor, neighbors, neighborhood, uh, people close to us, whether it be family living in other places, or even those who are further afield, have suffered the pain, there's pain and, and trauma of the unwanted intrusion and violation of property and sometimes even of person. Sadly, over the years here at Central, I'm aware of families that have been personally affected. Uh, many times it's only been stuff, material goods that have been stolen. But sadly, there also have been incidents where there has been physical injury. And just on the basis, because of uh, godless and selfish and immoral behavior uh, perpetrated against people who then become victims of this kind of uh, crime, this, this criminal activity that seems to be the order of the day in our country at every level, sometimes blue collar, what do we call it, white collar crime, and then uh, the kind of crime that takes place in the suburb. So in the light of this widespread law-breaking and, sad to say, little or no respect for human life, I want to ask you a question. You experience it. You hear it. Uh, what do you think? Do you believe that criminals should be punished? Should criminals be punished? Now, I'm convinced that the answer to that question is a most definite yes. Criminals ought to be punished. Most of us, all of us, believe that with all our hearts that criminals should be brought to book, believing that these nasty characters, some of us would even say, thrown into prison and lose the keys. Justice ought to be done. They should face, I've heard this statement by many people, those who break the law should face the full wrath of the law. They should face the consequences of their immoral actions. Put them in jail. Some people would even go so far as to say if the crime is serious, as in the event of a life being taken, that that person should in fact be hanged, facing the consequence of their action, uh, depriving someone else of the gift of life. Well, it would be true to say that people in South Africa, generally most of us anyway, are sick and tired of living on the edge. And uh, we need to think about our response though. We need to think about it in terms of us, why, why do we believe that criminals should be punished? And, and the reason is, and I've already stated this, I've alluded to it, is that we believe that justice ought to be served. We want to see justice. And what do we mean by justice? It, it would be that we would immediately respond, if someone has broken the law, if someone has hurt somebody else, we want to see that which is fair and right. That is what needs to be done. 
It isn't because we want to see, uh, we, we want to just see people hurt. No, 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 not at all. We want to see that people are treated according to what they deserve. Now, here comes the big transition in terms of the introduction to the passage. If you believe that justice uh, ought to be served, that you believe in justice, and that you are convinced that we need to do what is right and fair, that's us people to people, how much more, how much more should God do the right thing? That's the transition I want you to think about. Because we so often speak about, is God fair? Is God doing the right thing? Well, before you decide to answer the question, we're going to look at this passage, the unfolding conduct or conduct of these people in the early generations of human existence, and want to go to the first uh, comment or the first point, is criminal conduct acceptable? If we look at the passage and we go back to chapter 4, verse 8, remember Cain deliberately, uh, he was premeditated in his uh, taking of his brother Abel's life. And then he blatantly lied to God. Uh, we read on in the seventh generation from Adam of another gentleman by the name of Lamech, chapter 4, verse 23. He also took a man's life. He takes a man's life and then he brags about his actions to his wife. These were not isolated or exceptional instances of wickedness. It does seem as as we read these opening chapters of Genesis that there is a downward spiral uh, into the gutter of decadence and evil, a manifestation of selfish behavior. So in all the generations, if you remember last week, we read from chapter 5, and there was this one that begat this one, and this one was born, and this one died, and this one was born, and this one died. And, and in that entire chapter, there's only one person, Enoch who, is, Enoch, who is noted for walking with God. Verse 24, there's nothing said about the others other than that they, they lived and they died. So this downward slide into corruption, the pit of corruption, reaches a critical point when we get to chapter 6, and that's where we are going to focus this evening. God has something to say about this state of affairs. Chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The level, in crime, the level of crime today the level of the moral, where the moral revolution has got to, is not different, not any different at all. What is it that God is thinking? What is it that God is seeing here in South Africa, in Pretoria, to the ends of the earth, about the condition, about the moral condition of men and women? There's a total disregard for the law of God. There's no consideration in terms of what is it that God thinks. It's all about the individual, me and I and my, is uppermost in most people's situation. So I think it would be right to say, like in the days of Noah, we too today have reached a point where we could describe humanity as being at an extremely low point, openly opposed to the righteous ways of God. I hate to say this, but it's true. 
not only openly opposed to the ways of God, but enjoying wallowing in their decadence, like pigs wallowing in mud, loving it, absolutely loving it, defending their position of being in that particular place. So that then leads us to a second point. Uh, Is criminal conduct acceptable? Well, how does God respond? There is a question we need to answer. What do you think is right and fair? That's why I started with the introduction I did. Uh, We believe that justice ought to be served, that that which is right and fair should be done. And we must be careful now when we think about how God should respond that we don't exercise or we don't manifest double standards. I expect this on a horizontal relationship, man to man, woman to woman. But when it comes to God and man, suddenly I have different ways of assessing uh, responses and justice and and fairness and, and rightness. Surely, my argument simply is this. If you believe criminals should get away with what they deserve and and not get away with it and and receive the full wrath of the law, how much more, how much more ought God, who is holy and righteous and just, do what is right? So how should God respond? There can be no doubt, there should be no doubt in your mind, certainly in my mind, there can be no other response. God must punish wrongdoing. Justice must be served. Lawbreakers, transgressors of the law, sinners, must face the full wrath of the law. Which leads me then to a third point. How does God respond? Well, God responds as we expect. Uh, Guess I could even say the only way he can, because his response is aligned with who he is. His holy nature, his righteous nature, his just nature. And so his response is aligned, it is in harmony with who he is in his nature, in his person. And so it's not surprising to see what he says following the observation that we read about in chapter 6, verse 6. The Lord was sorry. There's a regretting, there's there's a, uh, a grieving. Uh, in his heart, I, I will blot out man. You see, so God is now... Uh, exercising uh, justice. He's responding to the action of man in the light of who he is as holy and righteous and declares that he will blot out man whom he had created from the face of the land, men and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens. I'm sorry that I've made them. So, so the point is God's response includes judgment and wrath. He finds mankind guilty of wrongdoing. There's judgment. He determines the appropriate punishment, the wrath of God, unleashed, bringing destruction. And in this instance, he judges finding men guilty and he determines determines to uh, destroy humanity, the earth, through a universal flood. Uh, Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. All the flesh had corrupted their way on earth, and God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them uh, from the earth. God must be true to himself. He must keep his word. 
And verse chapter 7, verse 23, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And that pattern, that pattern is repeated. Succeeding generations, there is judgment and there are consequences to people's uh, corrupt behavior, their unrighteous uh, disregard for a holy God. The point is that God hates sin and he judges it. He considers the evidence of, of people's lives and their conduct, concluding they are guilty and are to face appropriate punishment. Then again, just to give you some examples, a pattern is seen when God judges human sin at the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 of Genesis. We see it when God completely destroys the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19. And even later on, the judgment of Israel, when we get to Exodus and Numbers, uh, an entire generation dies in the desert and, and are not permitted to enter the promised land simply because of disobedience. God judging, disobedient Israel. Later on in, in the unfolding of the history of, of Israel, the northern kingdom is exiled into Assyria, uh, 722 BC. Why? Because of disobedience, because of unrighteousness, because of sin. And then later, even the southern kingdom, Judah, is exiled to Babylon in 587 BC. Again, disobedience, it is a consequence to, being, uh, to violating God's law. That's how God responds. To human sin. We must expect it. It can be no other way. God will respond to wickedness and transgression and corruption and depravity and rebellion. He will respond to any other word that describes human conduct. And let me say any kind of human conduct in opposition to God and His ways. The way that he has designed the world, the way that he has made people, the expectations that he has from people to worship him as the one and only true God. God will respond. We need to understand that to every sin, my sin, to your sin, any of our rebellious ways. Which leads me to a fourth point, and I've basically asked the question, are there exceptions? Well, in this context in Genesis... We see it in chapter 5. Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him away. We also read of Noah and the members of his family, seven members of his family that survived the flood. Verse 23, verse of chapter 7. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. A little later, also in Genesis, we read of the exception of Lot and his daughters. Chapter 19, verse 20, uh, 29, it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now, where am I going? I'm wanting to show you that throughout the Old Testament, we have evidence of a group of people whom God preserves. Sometimes referred to them as the remnant. Now that raises some difficult questions. I want us to think about those questions. Let me ask some of them. How can God be acting fairly by translating Enoch straight into heaven? 
How can God be acting fairly by saving Noah and his family from the flood? How can he be acting fairly by rescuing Lot and his daughters from the fires of Sodom and Gomorrah? How can he be acting fairly by preserving a remnant, this group? How can he be acting justly and righteously by saving some from judgment and wrath? Now, some people come up with an answer that is not right. It's not in keeping with the scriptures. Some would speculate and say that it must be because these people were better. These people were more righteous than the rest. Is that true? Well, Noah, he's described for us in chapter 6 verse 9 as a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. However, Noah was not perfect. Noah also had fallen short of the glory of God and did fall short of the glory of God. He has his cracks, he has his failings. Just a little later after this magnificent act of of God saving him in chapter 9 verse 21, uh, he drank of the wine, became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent. Behaving like a drunkard. Was it drunkard on that night? And so the key to answering these difficult questions should rather be sought in the midst of the revelation uh, of this wickedness and sin. Let's have a look at that verse in chapter 6, verse 8 again. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So some people will say that was because Noah was a good guy. I don't think that's consistent with the nature of scriptures and what scriptures reveal to us about people. You see, having found favor, he does not escape judgment What happens? Rather, we see that God provides protection. The ark is a form of protection. And and Noah and his family navigate the flood. They pass through the judgment in safety with the protection that God had provided. We know that God must be true to himself and his word. And uh, let's go back to another foundational principle, not to forget this as you think about your uh, worldview and your theological positioning. God had promised that in spite of the seed of the serpent striking the heel of the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman will prevail. The necessity of succeeding generations through to the coming of the seed, ultimately in the person of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who would crush the head of the serpent. Therefore, understand the logic of this. The the plan of God must always therefore include a remnant. There will always be a company of people who by God's grace are recipients of his favor. Now, that leads to another question. How can this be if God is just? Well, we've just come through Easter and there lies the answer to this difficult question. Judgment is a recurring theme right throughout the Old Testament. And uh, in fact, Easter is another uh, display for all the world to see of the wrath and the judgment of God. That God is holy and that God needs to, must of necessity, uh, punish wrongdoing. And so we have this more than 2,000 years, years ago. There was that dark and dreadful day of God's judgment of human sin on Calvary. Guilt had been determined. Guilt is determined. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so a 
appropriate punishment must be applied because God is just, God is fair. The wages of sin is death. But for the wonder of the gospel. Ingenious. The way that love and justice meet at the cross. A substitute is provided protection for a remnant. Jesus Philippians chapter 2, a wonderful passage, we ought to know this, we ought to remember it, who through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What do we see? Yeah? God, second person of the Trinity, perfectly righteous. He is the lamb without defect, standing in the place of others, subjected to the wrath of God. Symbolically explains this, Jesus explains this action the night when he was betrayed in Matthew 26. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He is the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. And so God is just and fair. And let me include again, there isn't a single person. I am not worthy. You are not worthy. The best person in this world is not worthy. It is God's grace and grace alone. It is through the work of Jesus and the work of Jesus alone where protection is provided. Safety is is given to a remnant. Sin is punished. God's justice is satisfied. And there is a group of people in other places identified by Jesus as his sheep. People who are recipients of his undeserved favor, who escape the final and ultimate judgment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. It's the remnant. Those who are safe. There's another group who, like in the days of Noah, refuse. They, they are true to their own inclinations of heart. They have no desire to please God, to submit to God. They want to justify their own evil actions. They want to blame others for their own evil actions. They even want to shake their fists at God. They don't take the warning. They don't receive the provision for rescue, God's gracious provision. And so chapter 24, verse 37 of Matthew as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So, folks, oh, what a horrible thought. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This group, we are told, will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. The righteous are not those better than the rest. Get that out of your mind. I'm no better than the rest and none of you are better than the rest. The righteous are those who receive the benefit 
of Christ's atoning work, his gift of salvation to be received and to be believed. And so I go back to the question at the beginning. Before you say God is unfair because he didn't save this one or he didn't save that one, should God punish criminals? The answer is yes, he must. To be true to his own nature, God is just and fair. I deserve the punishment uh, from God for the sins that I've committed in my own rebellion. But thanks be to God for Jesus. To be in Christ, to be in the ark, to be protected through the storm, through the flood, through the wrath, the pouring out of God's wrath. Dear friend, don't be among those who ignore God's warning of wrath. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security to receive a wake-up call away from me, you evil doer. Respond instead to the invitations of forgiveness and grace. Humbling yourself before God, looking to Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so the urging of this study tonight, do you believe in all your heart your need for the Savior to rescue you from the wrath of God, to usher you into an eternity into the very presence, the glorious presence of God, the favorable presence of God forever and ever. Amen. Oh Lord, I pray that that we would see this, see our need of you, that apart from your grace we are lost and damned. But thank you, thank you God for your love. Thank you for your mercy, your compassion, for your spirit convincing men and women of their need of a Savior. And even tonight, Lord, I pray that you would confirm this in those who believe. And Lord, if anybody is watching this that does not believe, change their hearts, O God. Be merciful to them. Drive them to their knees, I pray, for their sake, for the soul, for their souls, Lord, we pray. Uh, Asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a, a final slide then, some questions. Maybe talk a little bit about crime in our city and country and the importance of a justice system that we need that seems to be failing a bit in our country and then go on to apply those same principles uh, in your expectations of what God can only do. And so bless you. Uh, God have his gracious hand upon you. Uh, Thank you for joining in the study once again this evening.